Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 75 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, chances of survival, minimal. <laughs> and join us tonight, we're keeping it super in the family, yes. incestuous as fuck. He is the writer and director of the short film Mannequins, Dave Malkin. Dave, hello. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> Keep Apparently I have energy. a very cheery disposition, so I thought we'd follow through with that. Yeah, start as you mean to go on. Yeah, and that was actually quite upbeat. Dave, it's been a long time coming. Yes, yeah. a long time coming. I have avoided doing this because it's awkward as fuck. Yep, and and, and now that you're actually in it and, and the reality of it, is it in fact as awkward as you expected yeah, yeah, it to be? Yeah, it's very much like being <laughs> in the Like if anything more so? So like when you went to the careers day at high school and they told them you wanted to be a film director and they told you you had to work in Tesco, it's a bit like... <laughs> As good as all that. Yep. <laughs> it's hard not to feel slightly offended. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Dave, you have chosen Feast. I have indeed. 2005, uh, John Gulliger. Yes, written by Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Milton. Yeah. Mitch, first viewing for you. First viewing for me, almost inevitably. I, Dave, uh, of all the films in the world, why this one? There's, there's a story behind Feast that actually it's the product of reality television and it was featured on a television series called Project Greenlight. Okay. So Project Greenlight is Matt Damon and Ben Affleck get filmmakers to, they get them a budget and they get films made and they'd couple of series that were very very low budget bad art house films that didn't do very well and the third season they decided to make a horror film so it gave an insight into the actual studio process when they went with dimension films i was fascinated by the whole thing fascinated by filmmaking wanted to be a filmmaker yeah. it is the best insight any filmmaker could ever have into the making of a film really and the result of what you get okay <laughs> Dave, this is probably, it's one of the more recent ones that people have picked, I think, over the measure of the 75 episodes. 2005 is, I would say, relatively, like, way towards the top end in terms of chronology. Also, one of the ones that I would say is probably most underseen, and probably one of the ones that I would say the chances are maybe fewer listeners are listening to this having seen it. Which is probably one of the reasons, because I like the idea of sort of introducing people to things they should go and seek out. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's good. Yeah. I'll argue the case for it being good. I know there's someone in the room that will support me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm really curious to know who you think that might be. My, <laughs> my infant son. <laughs> um, but the reason that I bring that up is, would you be in a position to give us a 30-second synopsis of Feast? I would indeed. That's a and, very polite approach. Yeah, that's probably the most uh, It's probably the most formal that I've been with that sure. this entire time. Yeah. But do you have 30 seconds on the clock, Andy? I do, yes. Of course I do, Mitch. Dave, if I can't you in, are you ready? Oh. Yes. Right, three, two, one, go. Right, so somewhere in Californian Canyon country, there's an isolated tavern and its patrons come under siege from a pack of flesh-ripping mutant beasts leaving 
the ragtime the ragtag bunch, sorry, inside, no choice but to fight for their lives until dawn or be served up as dinner. It's Evil Dead meets Diner. Done. Well, yes. Fair one, how long ago? Seven seconds left. Yeah, nicely done, Dave, nicely done. That's what happens when you get a filmmaker on, that's fair. I know, I'm who I've never had one of those before. This. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, someone I noticed uh, had it written. Well, I did think about it beforehand, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need to start banning that. <clears throat> how much of directing is preparation, Andy? <laughs> You're asking me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into this. Yes, we uh, open on monochrome footage of a deserted highway that cuts very abruptly to a very technical collision with a pole. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, nice uh, eight millimeter stuff there to start, Dave. Yep. So th- there is a, there is a grand story behind that. That actually, as I said, this film is produced as part of Project Greenlight. Mm-hmm. Dimension Films were very reticent in providing a significant budget for the film. It's a script actually that the studio pick way ahead of any decisions being made by the collaboration process on the TV mm-hmm. show. It's a bit like an X Factor thing. There's three scripts. There's three directors, so they pick um, the script that they think they can most market. And to be fair, the other scripts pretty much do sound better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they do, um, and, and they have never an... been made. One of them was like Wes Craven was involved in this. Wes Craven bought one of the scripts himself. Never ever saw the light of day. Do you have any insight on what the other things were? Yes. So the other films were one was called Wildcard, which was a kind of noir crime thriller and the other one was called does anyone remember when hans rubinstein invented time travel (laughs) apparently was a comedy about time travel that they found to be very polished and funny so the 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 tv show goes through a process bringing these guys in they talk about the script um so they they have the guy in who talks about wildcard the guy that talks about hans rubinstein they expect to be very funny and he turns out to be a very geeky scientist guy who tells them all about how time travel can really happen. And then you get Marcus and Patrick in the room and anyone who knows Marcus Dunstan knows that he can explode a room very easily. Yeah. And he's a very personable person. And they decide right there and then Dimension decide, these are the guys for us, this is the script for us. However, we're going to give you $3 million and that's your work. So the film, when it is made and completed, is actually not entirely finished. And at a later stage... Um, there's a divorce between Miramax and Disney and Dimension goes with Miramax and they then go back and add some footage into Feast when they realise that there is no beginning to it uh-huh. and there is no end to it. Right. <laughs> and these things are added in. So that makes you sense. end up with them trying to find a way to bring this in. Now when they did some test screenings of Feast, people didn't understand the origins of the monsters. So sure, yeah. the concept that was going to happen at the beginning was they were going to explain the origin of these creatures. It never really comes to fruition. They, they go with the 8mm footage and then into quite a cheap effect, <laughs> um, which 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 is one of the burdens of the film. But, you know, it's low-budget film making. That's what happens. Mm. To and So it's quite a jarring intro. Yes. Because yeah, of those factors. Ah, it, it does feel wild, wildly kind of divorced from what you go on to see, but that kind of makes sense when you put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the long explanation. I no, 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 it's good. It's, about this film it's good. I mean, I knew, I knew a little bit about the Project Greenlight stuff, but I didn't know anything about the other projects that were in contention or necessarily... Uh, I, I didn't even know that it actually took the form of a TV show. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to watch in, in the first episode you see the, the script writers and them picking the project, and then you see the three directors, um, and there's a, a director who probably is far suited to the project, James Ryan, because they make them film like a short based on the script that they've given. Mm-hmm. And the script's very basic. It, it doesn't have any character descriptions or anything. It's just a series of lines and they have to interpret it. 
and you get to see the the shots that they made and James Ryan very much makes a Dimension Scream style thing that's really cool. There's um, another guy in there, Scott, someone or other, I can't remember his name. And then you get the director, John Gilliger, who makes the best looking short film with all his family. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he comes Black from and white, noir, yeah. He's Gulliger stock. Yeah, he um, comes from his dad was in Return of the Living Dead. Very, very artistic, but a very introverted person. And his interview with the studio and everything is the worst interview given by someone who got the job. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrendous. He sits in a chair and he explains to them how he can make water noises with his mouth. And can that's, not, that's, can that's, not all do that? Yeah, but that, that's his interview for a film, so everyone else is explaining their vision and everything. Gulliger, obviously they've seen his films and he can make great films, and he gives this terrible interview. Mitch, fascinating can watch. you make water sounds with your mouth? does sound a bit like wanking, got to be honest. <laughs> so certainly through my headphones, it sounds a bit like the wank noise, that thing. Like in Pump Up the Volume. <laughs> so yeah, we're, in, we're into the bar now itself. Um, is this bar of a name? It is actually called the Bear Tavern. The Bear, the Tavern, Bear Tavern, there you go. Yeah. Um, it's, it's in the dialogue. Well done for not picking that up. <laughs> Neither of us, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Uh, and we're into the tavern and we get a quick, well, not a quick, actually, quite a long whip round of our key players. I was going to say, it's not sure at all. This takes ages. <laughs> I thought you would like this, though, uh, because it, it removes your, your need to hang about on Wikipedia trying to figure out who people are. Yeah, but it just meant that I had to do the equal and opposite thing of pausing it and writing everything down. Like, uh, <laughs> what I will say is, right, I mean, like, like this did, like, so... Yeah, the characters are all introduced kind of like gradually as we move through the kind of opening scene in the bar. Sure. And uh, they're all introduced with like text on screen, which is all very funny. Yeah. And I, I think that a lot of it is really funny. But also, it there is so much of it. But uh, yeah, this this takes a long time. But I would say that by the end of it, I've learned everyone's names. So I think stylistically, it's an interesting choice because the names aren't really names. The names are, are ca- the character they are. <laughs> the heroine, the hero, the toughie. Bozo, the, the bozo, the you know the bartender. That's that's what they are. They're and uh, Hot Wheels, the disabled and, guy. Yeah. And what I like about that is rather than, I mean, how many? I don't know how many times I watch a film. I have no idea who the character names are. At the Same. End of it, you know. <laughs> and when you're watching American horror stuff and American teen horror stuff, which is what I mostly consume, yeah. you know, <laughs> all the Britneys and the Briannas and all that all become the same. But then, yep. you know, so to me, it means so. so I, I thought it was interesting me to do that. It has, I think, varying results. Some of them, I, I don't think all of them are, are, are really funny. Um, I think some are quite, you know, quite funny and um, they work, but they sort of really they have various mileage between them. Yeah, I think that some some of them feel really organic and really funny, and some of them feel kind of kicked to fit so the medium. Uh, there's, there's, there's also that like Jason Mewes is in this yep. yes. as Jason Mewes. Mm-hmm. That wasn't as written. Or as performed, his the original character name was Edgy Cat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and at some point, someone's decided it's Jason Mewes. Everyone knows it's Jason Mewes. Just make him Jason Mewes. <laughs> Call him Jason Mewes. Mm-hmm. Say Jason Mewes again. Yeah. <laughs> Take a shot. <laughs> so there's yeah, there's Jason Mewes here. Yeah. Um, amongst others, but yeah, quick shoot through because just for the yeah for the benefit of people who haven't seen it sure yeah yep. uh, Bozo labelled here as Town Jackass and uh, A Life Expectancy of Dead by Dawn played by Balthazar Getty mm-hmm. uh, who was in Judge Dredd yes correct yeah yeah um, the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd yes <laughs> Jesus okay if I have to watch that again I'm going to hate you okay. <laughs> 
don't be using me <laughs> as your like, as your vessel for hate when it comes around to you inevitably watching Judge Dredd again because you want to. No, it's not happening. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, we've got Harley Mom. Yep, she's uh, John Gilligan's wife. Oh, is, okay. Yeah. Who he originally wanted to play Tuffy. Tuffy. All right, okay, um, okay. I'll, I'll maybe get into some of that. Oh. Yeah, um, uh, Tuffy being ultimately the kind of more compelling protagonist later. Yes. Also, Hot Wheels. Uh, disabled guy who we meet being wheeled slash kind of rushed out of shot by uh, Bozo. Also called Cripple on the screen. So uh, you get a rough idea straight out of the box what the taste level is here. Yeah, the bad taste barometer is uh, pretty low, pretty early doors. But yeah, um, yeah, because his life expectancy is listed as they wouldn't kill a cripple, would they? Which did make me laugh. <laughs> as it's intended to. Yep, yeah, that, 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 that landed for me. Um, also coach, motivational speaker. And uh, strong bit for a quick death, apparently. It took me until second look to realise this was Henry Rollins. Yep, second appearance on the show for Henry Rollins. After Johnny Mnemonic. Correct. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Johnny uh, Mnemonic is a fantastic film. <laughs> Natasha Kamani agrees with you. She has very good taste. <laughs> uh, also later makes a move on Honey Pie. What could you say about her? <laughs> I, I, I had her down as I had her down as uh, doe-eyed would be ingenue. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's pretty much yeah. that. That's probably what they should have used. Then that would have been a good description. I think she comes up as actress, singer, dancer. dancer. Yeah, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. When in actual yeah. fact, what she is here is a waitress. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, in amongst the chaos here, we get a bozo uh, propositioning grandma. Who, like, that's probably the most like the most generalized of all of them yes. just, just, also just a, just fun fact she blew Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger. yeah recently, recently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also one of my favorite characters in the whole film because she cannot be fucked with any of it like, I, I, <laughs> I also and interestingly that plays into the actual when they showed you the making of it on Project Greenlight right that um, while she was there there was quite a lot of You've got a lot of people in this bar and there is a complete and utter disaster from the, the AD department in calling people in where they just brought everyone in <laughs> every day and people were not being shot throughout the day. Fuck, okay. Um, and sitting about. And she's actually probably one of the most professional actors on set. You know, yeah. She's got a very long career. And states in the show, you know, I've never been treated like this. This is like being an extra. And I also really like in Grandma's thing. One of the th- one of my favorite one of the kind of like the title things is that in her life expectancy, it's listed as maybe dead already. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good, as I say, that's a good way. But actually, the 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 title card things, I think they stole from one of the other directors' interviews during the show. One of the other um, directors talks about a scorecard. Right. Well, they were, he his idea was to have monsters to human zero throughout it. So it plays into that. that I think they, they took that idea and created this introduction for the characters. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. So do you think this is more a studio thing, perhaps? No, though? it would definitely be written into the script, but right. I think they got the idea when they were doing the rewrites. Right, thought, okay. Oh, that was a good idea that that guy came up with. You know what it's like when you go in for a pitch and you share your ideas and they run away with them and then use them anyway, even though you <laughs> don't get the job. Is that just me? Who knows that? <laughs> uh, also in here we've got Beer Guy. Yes, uh, Judah Friedlander. Judah Friedlander, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, life expectancy listed at losers and dorks go first. He ends up being way more durable than that suggests. It, he lasts way longer than you would necessarily give him he credit He turns for. up in sequels. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> worth mentioning there are two sequels to this. Yeah. Um, and as we talked about a minute ago, they uh, decrease in quality quite markedly. Significantly. Really? And I understand, From there, here. Is, I understand there is a fourth script. Right, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> but you can't wait for that bitch yeah. <laughs> my name's on that one <laughs> 100% <laughs> Uh, also meet bartender here uh, an elderly bartender yep uh, Chloe Gulliger uh, John's dad cool um, keep it in the like family I, like I said he was probably best known to genre people for uh, Return of the Living Dead uh, he, he's on Elm Street too of course yeah, yeah. yeah he's, Chase, uh, chases that budgie about the he's the dad with the, the plaster on his face like Nelly <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think actually the um, Clue's performance is the best performance in the whole film. I think he's probably the best across the pace. Uh, there's something to be said for that, definitely. He's, definitely. he's in the three of them as well, and he's yeah. he kind of grounds the three of them <laughs> to an extent. Um, he's a weather barman. You can tell that he's a badass because he's got a dangling earring. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that kind of um, old Hollywood wisdom about him. Sure. And yeah. he comes mm-hmm. away with a few interesting phrases that like yeah. this man's been about. Mm-hmm. And he, we're told that he'll be dead in 70 minutes And now I believe that that is in fact what happens But then they brought him back for the sequels anyway Why yes. the hell not? <laughs> He's 100% dead by the end of this film Absolutely uh, At this point I am at my text on screen tipping point But there's still more um, There is more but it's, it's briefly cut by um, I mean you get a brief respite Because you get a little bit of uh, Evil Dead running camera Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the desert. yeah, classic uh, Evil Dead FPV. <laughs> sure. Racing through the desert. Uh, but yeah, at this point, yeah, we meet Honey Pie, who we've mentioned. Um, and also Boss Man, uh, owner of the place. Yeah, uh, Wayne Ste- Wecker playing another slime bag. Stetson, Stetson clad elder stoner sleazeball. Yeah, Dwayne Whitaker, definitely a dimension stable player. Turns up in just about everything they've ever made. Absolutely. Um, if you need a sleazy guy, yep, give him a phone. It kind of makes sense when you think about it. His part in this reminds me very much of him in From Dust Till Dawn 2, two yeah. which um, I've got dibs on as well if I come back. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to be Mitch through that as well. Don't get cocky, Dave. We've only been out this for 20 minutes. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like I say, um, I kind of, I kind of, in the moment when this was happening, when we were seeing all the character introductions, I found it kind of tiresome. But at the end of it, I was like, fair play. I know what everyone's chat is, and I definitely know everyone's name. Yeah. And I can't remember. I could not name a film in the last five years where I watched it where there have been like eight protagonists and I've known all of their names by the fifty-minute mark. Other than detention. Mm, maybe. <laughs> you know everyone in detention pretty quick. Yeah, uh, and I will give it that. Yeah, the la- I think the last character name that we get introduced to on screen is Tuffy's son. You would uh, be wrong, Cody. All oh, right, okay. You've, you've forgotten Vet, which oh, I can understand right. you forgetting Vet because his uh, input is minimal. Yeah, he's not around for long. Yeah, yeah. he's gonna. Vet is literally a war veteran who's around long enough to basically give a rough equivalent of a three days from retirement speech. <laughs> yeah, but but he's desperate to get back. Yeah, he's he's just home and he's desperate to get back. To but the like fight. you're you're getting enough honourable stuff. You like he's the only one who is like painted out of the gate as honourable, and you get that just enough to know that he's going to die really soon. Not the last on-screen character name though. No, I know no. what you mean. The that film, comes way later. Yeah, of course, oh, really? oh, yeah. yes, yes, We yes, can yes, get yes. to that. Well, there's one. Yeah, there's a, a pretty key one coming there's, up. There's, in, there's a couple in more, and then there's one. Yeah, a but significant plot point. I do want to say that I think that the best joke in all of this is when you get Cody, Tuffy, uh, Tuffy's son, uh, where his occupation is listed as tax break. That was exceptional. It was easily yeah. my favourite one. And that, is that the one that says they wouldn't kill a kid, would they? Uh, oh, maybe. Well, it definitely says they wouldn't kill a cripple. Cripple, yeah, definitely said it along with the cripple, but yeah, no, I, I couldn't remember. Uh, yeah, somewhat depressingly after this, we cut to uh, boss man shagging t- uh, Tuffy while she impassively smokes. 
Yeah, I think they've got they've got some kind of arrangement in place. Seems that way. Pretty joyless. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a bit more. I think I think it'd been a bit unfair that we don't cut quite to that. A bit more interaction in the bar. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get you get it. to see Toffee's had enough. Sure. Um, honey pies here interacting with coach, coach. coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a bit of that goes on. And, and then, there. Yeah, and then obviously yeah. there is an arrangement in place um, for her to head upstairs. Yeah, there's a quid pro quo scenario. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And, and deal with with boss man's needs. Yeah, deal with them. Yes. Yeah. Elsewhere, Jason Mewes is losing at pool because Bozo was cheating. Yep. Yep. Because Hot Wheels is. Running interference because, as it will come out later, it's actually his brother. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This film is packed full of plot people. <laughs> That's it, yeah, twists. Yeah, bl- is... blink and you'll miss it, nuggets of universe yeah. building. <laughs> they're telling you to go out there and see all the president's men when you're at screenwriting class and they're getting it wrong. You should be watching Feast. Yep, just sowing seeds <laughs> in every, <laughs> every available crevice. So at the end of this pool game, this this what do you call it? A game, a match? What do you call it? A round? This is a game of pool. A game yeah, of that's pool. a game. That's yeah. fine. Just so a, the, just a, just a nice little round table flexing of alpha male muscle there. <laughs> at the end of this game of pool, uh, Bozo acts like a complete fucking maniac. Uh, yeah. And calls out the entire bar for a further game of pool. No takers, understandably. Well, I mean, he's he's pretty unhinged. He's a very aggressive man, yeah. And it's round about this time that things kick off. High gear, straight out the gate. Yes, yes, yes. Which is. One of the appealing things for me about this film is the fact that it gets going very, very quickly, <laughs> yeah. which, which yeah. I enjoy. Yep. Um, I enjoy a slow burn film, like sure. everyone else, but sure. there's something about this. It gets right into it. It knows what it is. Let's get going. Let's not fuck about. And into the bar comes heroine. Hero. Oh, sorry, hero. Hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. hero. Yeah. Played by Eric Dane. Yeah, for all the time he's here. Yeah, so yeah. the there's a story behind the casting of Eric Dane. Okay. Oh. So, obviously, the idea of the script is that there is a hero sure. who will come in, and um, the as his um, title card introduces him, he's here to save the day. So, they look they were looking for a heroic type. They wanted Mark Wahlberg. Yes, yes, I did, I did okay. see this. Okay, so they, they went out to Mark Wahlberg. Now, what kind of baffles me is that this has been produced by a TV series which involves Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, yep. both very recognisable mm-hmm. in hero roles, probably pretty much obligated to do something for this film if they need it. <laughs> but they don't go to any of them. They go to Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah, fair, <laughs> fair. There is a debate at one point over Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, yes! The, the VP of production says he's very nervous about the type of films that Van Damme is involved in. Um, I'm not sure he's quite self-aware of what he's actually making <laughs> at this point. Um, and they go out to Mac Warren. Now, they make a very big um, mistake in that they approach Eric Dane as a backup and Eric Dane hears about Mark Wahlberg and things go a bit Hollywood. And Eric Dane says, you can ram your film up your where the sun don't shine, but in an American way, however they do that. And of course, Mark Wahlberg passes on the film. Right. And they go begging to Eric Dane, who goes, right, okay, I've only really done TV. This is my first film. I'll do it. And turns up and saves the day, literally in the production. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. And then comes in. And the whole point of this is that Hero comes in. And of course, he's not the hero. That's no, not the at whole all. point of Feast. Well, he's certainly yeah. portrayed that way. He arrives, uh, gun in hand, very much covered in blood. He's coming with stark warnings. A storm of hell. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want to live, Mitch, you'll do exactly what he tells you to yeah. do. Because he's just because uh, he talks about creatures, claws, and teeth. The less <laughs> successful follow up to Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. <laughs> 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 it's, it's always struck me that is it him that refers to them having claws like Ginsu knives? Uh, yes, Someone I believe so. Yes, I think that and that it, is him. And, and I just think at some point I would definitely have written in a bit where someone goes, "What's that? I don't know what that is," because that's quite clearly something where people go, "What? Well, I don't know what Ginsu knife is. It's cut cannon, huh? Yeah, but you know, there'd be like one person in that bar who'd be like, "Mate, that's a weird simile." Be me. <laughs> Be like, oh, Ginsu knife. Oh, you can cut can in half. That's pretty scary if that's what their claws are like. Well, that means they're coming after your cans. <laughs> like the assassin in the jerk. Speaking of which. That is a sign of success. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I just want to quickly say uh, makeup and effects work in this film is fucking excellent. Cross the board. Um, and well, that would be because of Gary Tunnicliffe. Gary Tunnicliffe and uh, Stephen Norrington. Yes, yeah, Stephen Norrington, um, the director of Death, Death Machine. Machine. Yeah, the, the film mm. that caused me to come on this podcast because it took an absolute huff that someone took one of my favourite films. Ah, <laughs> was, uh, yeah. And that was, was that the thing that so finally kicked you into so action? Probably really the question you asked earlier was why this film is really because someone took Death Machine and thought someone takes Beast, I'll lose it. There you go. <laughs> Death Machine right. is amazing. See, Eric Dane's hero um, assembles a reaction plan. He does, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also uh, pulls out a large creature's head, giving us the first indication of what really might be out there. Teeth like Ginsu knives as well. Yeah, I noticed. yeah. Uh, I very much enjoy the fact that Hero is immediately killed. Yeah. It's it's kind of the Deep Blue Sea moment where Samuel yeah, L. Jackson yeah. does the massive speech and then the shark eats him. It's kind of like that. And yeah. you don't expect it. It's funny. Yep. And then he's he's suddenly, Hero's here to rescue them. A creature bursts <laughs> in through a window, does him in, he's gone. That's that. Yeah, he's That's decapitated. That. And for the first of several times across the kind of measure of the film, Honey Pie is absolutely drenched in blood yeah she is and again I'll start pissing people off by doing this but when you see the, the, the making of the, the behind the, the scenes over the, the, the TV show the amount of times that they cover that girl in blood and the amount of times that she has to cry because they've covered her in blood but she still gets up and does it again fair play a professional yeah fair that's play what I like to see yeah <laughs> at this point enter Mrs. Hero aka Heroin she that is... would be that be heroin, heroin, heroin yeah. which is obviously a drug popular in in the claims of Scotland. Are the pronunciations sure. not the same? Do you say heroin? Well, I just think your pronunciation should be clearer for the American audience. Thanks very much for that, Dave. Thanks. You're welcome. We've clarified it now, so if you want to keep <laughs> saying heroin, Mitch, you're more than welcome to do I'm so. Please, my fucking self. <laughs> what I'm going to do. Can I speak briefly on the casting of heroin? You can, of course, certainly. So throughout the process. John Gilligan, the director, wishes to cast all of his family in all of the major parts in Feast. That includes his um, brother uh-huh. as Beer Guy. Yeah. So his dad is the that's what course, he gets. Yeah. His his niece as um, Honey Pie. His wife as Tuffy. Um, well, she starts off the series as his wife, and by the end of it, it's his girlfriend. I don't know how that works, but he wanted to have his granddad. So well, <laughs> he didn't have someone as heroin, <laughs> but the person that was brought in, the person who ultimately got the part, he didn't like. Okay, and you see their additions throughout the process of the the series where they're making feast, and I would agree. She doesn't do a good. She's from the OC or something. Yeah, she, is she doesn't OC. make yeah. a good first impression. He doesn't like her. The producers don't like her. The casting lady, Michelle Gertz, loves her. She's friends with her. 
she sure. likes her. Right, okay. She says you need to be open to other people playing the parts, which I agree with. I think she was right. He only wants to cast his family, and I think she's right to take him to task. But the problem is the director doesn't like her, the producers don't like her. Right. Mm-hmm. No one likes her apart from the casting agent. So she's brought in for a second reading, give her a chance. Second reading, director says, nope, pretty much the same as the first one. So they send their eight names to play heroin to the studio. And when the studio make their call to tell them who's been cast and which part, out comes Navi. Right. Yeah, surname I forget. And they're all shocked as she was never on the list in the first place. She, the casting person, plays a blinder, goes around them and gets someone that she likes cast in the role and they get stuck with her. <laughs> and I would say that really, she does better in the film than she does. She fares better in the film than she does in an audition. But I think they were right. She certainly doesn't carry the gravitas of the role significantly. No, particularly compelling, I don't think. Yeah. It's all right, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolute chaos ensues at this point. Understandable. Yep. <laughs> I mean, just, you imagine yep. you were just in the pub having, having yourself a quiet drink and this happens. Yep, yep. Vet dies immediately, which I think would probably be me in that scenario. <laughs> also, uh, Harley Mom loses a leg at the knee. Yeah. It's a very abrupt gear shift, isn't it? Well, this is a, she loses a, a leg at the knee because of the arrival of a very small, hilarious little creature. Yeah, so the, the baby... I love cre- that little so, guy. So the, the, the creatures are basically a family. Yep, I love um, that yeah. also. So the, the small um, baby is <laughs> fired in through a, a gap somewhere <laughs> and gets in and starts running about. Um, now, at this point, it's, it's the thing that, that Andy and I spoke about earlier is that the action sequences in Feast can get a little bit Disorientating, and it was due to the. It's one of the first films to really embrace digital cameras. I mean, it was they were it was recorded on tape, mm-hmm. and it's the the F thirty five or something that Sony made. I think it was the same one used in Star Wars. It doesn't do particularly well when you're throwing it about very quickly. It, it does get a bit confusing, and you kind of lose the the sort of traction in some places. But yeah, in comes the baby creature off with them. Harley Mum's leg, <laughs> um, various various shots going off. Um, oh, yeah. boss man's upstairs he gets his toes blown off, <laughs> his toes blown off. <laughs> from the floor below I love it I love it yep. yeah. and mid coitus as well yep yep uh, Jason Mewes gets his uh, face sliced off yep. <laughs> the, the creature decides to um, hump a deer head yep which ends up being its undoing yes <laughs> that, that allows them to get a good shot in and drop it into a freezer where they can lock it up which is, by the way, just a, an extremely satisfying moment to watch unfold, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well done. Yeah, the, it's the nice. look on the little creature's face as he's humping that deer head is fucking hilarious. <laughs> 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 it's deeply satisfying to watch him go for it. <laughs> but yeah, but the uh, the kind of chaos at this moment kind of subsides with uh, with the baby creature getting kind of locked in the freezer. Yeah, well, there's also a couple of other little important bits that affect the story beats. Uh, someone shoots the phone. Yes, of course. Um, so yeah. kind of rendering them unable I to contact. I think that might be Harley Mom when she gets her leg cut off. I think she then shoots she the phone. Lets off a. Oh, right. I mean, there's a lot having having directed one film. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of coverage here. There's a lot oh, of stuff to keep going. Yeah, loads. Um, yeah. And and to keep track of, and and it certainly handles it. I think. Yeah, and then well. not only has Jason Mewes just had his face sliced off, but he is also then shot by a wayward shotgun round yes indeed yeah yeah he's having a day <laughs> and he and he's dead <laughs> um, uh, yeah yeah they need to get the place on lockdown at this point uh, heroin slash heroin <laughs> slash heroin uh, 
kind of very swiftly emerges as the uh, voice, uh, as a voice, yes, if you like, uh, but also as a voice of reason. Sure. And kind of like, uh, kind of as the kind of backbone of the group and kind of what's going to be driving this thing forward. They seemed armed with a lot of knowledge, considering it can't have been that long ago that they came across the creatures for themselves. No, it's true. They're maybe saving that for the prequel. Ah, the origin story. So that would be Feast 4 appetizers. (laughs) Um, I'm available. (laughs) Both to write and direct. Um, at this point, they're trying to they're trying to take like kind of, kind of like a head count or an inventory of who's still there, and they realize that Tuffy's son Cody is upstairs, and uh, they go upstairs to save him, and Cody's immediately eaten by one of the monsters. Now, I'm not I'm not advocating child murder in films, sure. but it is a convincing setting out of a stall when you do it. Yeah, so I think very much that Marcus and Patrick set out when they wrote Feast to twist a lot of conventions. Mm. Yeah. You know, your hero is not your hero. And your heroine's not ultimately she not your ultimately heroine. will not be. And, you know, so that and the, the, the title cards that they put up saying when people are likely to die don't come true. Don't come true, yeah, yeah. You know, so that having the child there, um, it very much sets out, if they haven't already done so, they're very much setting out the stall that, yep, we're killing the kids, we're getting the kid out of there. Because Which Cody's... obviously is, is, in terms of production, is a very wise decision because that inhibits what you can actually do. You know, what hours you can work involving a child. So yeah. just killing the child off is yeah. just the way to go. Yeah. It's, it's a very expectations and also it's efficient. And it's also a very satisfying scene to watch because you see his little legs and trailers disappear into this creature's <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think it's only his foot that gets left behind. And then um, uh, beer guy, Jenna Friedlander, gets uh, soaked in green slime, which is also extremely satisfying to watch. Yes. Um, yeah, he gets soaked in the slime, which then begins his um, necrotic rot into death. Yeah, I'm all for it, and that and Judah Friedlander, all power to him. He is covered in maggots for the rest of this. Uh, Judah Friedlander is like low key MVP in this, I think, <laughs> just because he has to spend so much of this film so, covered in various I don't different think I've kinds of shit. Never seen him in anything else. Thirty Rock. Yeah, he's one American of Splendor. No. Fucking hell! I've <laughs> never <laughs> seen any of these. I've seen his stand-up show. <laughs> I'm here for Judah Friedlander. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Uh, yeah, I think that the entire thing, when you kind of uh, this entire sequence plays out in an impressively grimy way, and I kind of feel like every time that there's an opportunity to look at something in gross, exhaustive detail, it does it. Oh, well, I yeah, no, it's definitely it, it could <laughs> it could have definitely edited it down slightly, but I think the I point to push <laughs> to the, the the gross out point, you know, is is there. I would personally have taken another couple of minutes of watching him get doused in slime. It does go over I pretty think you well. Definitely want to watch the TV series where they show you the making of it. Then it's, oh, it's, I think it's a, a significant I think I amount of time spent on that. I sequence. think I must. Um, we also find out at this point that heroine, heroine, heroine's uh, daughter is out there in the wilderness. Yep, yeah, yep. she's out there with her parents or hit their husband's parents. So there's, there's kind of a, a flashback sequence and very grainy. Oh, video. It's, by the way, that's terrible. That looks terrible. I, I, I don't know. It really does. The awful, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. It was obviously to try and differentiate the footage from the rest of it or something that they, they did that. But it's they, weird they the just whole... seem to have been left behind on their own, to be honest. I think they've just been left. I think the impression we're supposed to get is that the, these creatures are, they think at least these creatures are maybe attacking other places, mm-hmm. which comes to play in the sequels, which is what they decide to do. I always got the impression while watching it was just this bar that came under attack at the Yeah, point. sure. I, I think that's a natural assumption. Yeah. But yeah, that bit kind of reminds me of like the way that that footage is treated. Kind of reminds me of like remember when you used to try and watch like scrambled adult channels on old Sky. 
This is the second week in a row we've talked about scrambled <laughs> adult channels. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do. I, 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 <laughs> but yes, I understand completely. I briefly zoomed through the last episode and that's the very bit that I managed to listen to. So I knew that you'd already <laughs> discussed this. It's good to know you've done your homework, Dave. Thanks very much. I was checking to make sure that you still did the uh, 30 second synopsis thing so that I could write it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bossman tries to kill Freezer Beast. At this point, yeah, it goes pretty poorly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His uh, his gun is not strong enough. Uh, he uh, the hilarious little hand that pops out the fridge and uh, cuts him up a little bit. Yeah, a lot, a lot of this kind of really chaotic stuff plays out in a really satisfying way for me. Yeah, at this but point, then the, what, the the plan from this point on to me is baffling and it's stupidity. Aye, so I mean, I uh, <laughs> it plays out in a really fun way though so you've got coach Henry Rollins here who kind of like because eventually Tuffy I believe it's Tuffy intervenes and uh, blows a couple of rounds into the freezer and kills the monster that we have contained in the freezer the baby Uh, yeah the baby I'm pretty pretty sure it is right Um, Tuffy not not in a depressed state at this point I'm going to cry in the basement pretty sure it's heroin yeah because she's she's a driving force but yeah at this point uh, coach uh, thinks it might be prudent to uh, lob the dead body of the child monster back out to the other monsters as a display of superiority is my understanding yes yeah that goes very poorly <laughs> I think Henry Rollins is amazing in this I agree yeah, I think he does a really good job and I remember him being really impressed by him in Wrong Turn 2 as well <laughs> this is definitely where he belongs doing this comedy horror kind of thing that he he really thrives in this environment even though he doesn't have any real horror comic stuff to do he's he's delivering a very straight performance of of a guy who believes he is brilliant and is clearly yeah he's he, he thinks he's does. this kind of tony robbins character yeah. this inspirational i th- i think a lot of the time when he has to do kind of like stuffy things in films henry Rollins is often doing his best work <laughs> well his decision here is to dangle the dead baby in front of the monsters on a pool cue and the hope that it will scale them off and show them that you can't fuck with man yeah. yeah. Um, which is incredibly cringy dialogue, uh, but it's not it's as good as Tom Cruise in Magnolia screaming respect the cock. Oh, yeah. But we're in the same ballpark. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this could not go worse. The uh, I believe it is the mother immediately eats the child without chewing it. And then is um, immediately also shagged by the da as car alarms go off in the background. I love the moment when they're all kind of looking out little slits in the, in, like, in the front of the bar and they're like, what are they doing now? And it's just, I remember it, the first time I saw it, I was like, that's really fucking funny. It was really funny, I And thought. then this time as well, when they were like, what are they doing now? And then they're like, they're humping. <laughs> it cuts to the deadly. I, my, I think my, in that sequence, my favourite touch is that they're doing it against a car, car alarm goes <laughs> off. And grandma fishes her keys That's out right. and switches her alarm. That is so funny. That's that, like that. The little moments like that are are, are definitely what get, got Gilligan less job. I yeah. think that that is probably the best comedic beat in the whole film. I mean, before not not long before that, you have had the moment where after the the phone has been destroyed, the the um, beer guy tries to hang the phone back up. That that works for me. <laughs> it's always a good yeah comedic punchline to the action sequences no i agree after the kind of madness of this subsides we learn that uh heroin was in the crash so, no, so, you, so you've skipped really skipped because it. after the humping yeah she then gives birth again oh christ yeah that's important to a birth sack which steams sure. and writhes sure. and looks like it's out one of andy's films and yep and, <laughs> and and it's given birth to a further creature and uh, yeah looks a bit like pumpkin head yeah yeah shades thereof yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. pumpkin head or pumpkin head two or three or four 
I'm, I'm talking um, first stage pumpkin head first okay. film can I also have Debs on the four of them uh, no <laughs> you you can't have you the can't first have one because Chris Niles oh they've done the first one, oh, yeah. done the first one. Yeah. Oh, well, I like the second one better anyway yeah. um, while we're talking about comedic beats actually um, really good one here because we, we see at this point that beer, beer guy is struggling we don't really get a read on precisely how much he's struggling that comes later yeah he immediately looks awful but it is hilarious when he goes to look out and uh, gets his eye clawed out of his head but also in the process of that happening basically by yanking the eyeball on the octave nerve the monster just bangs his head off the wall a bunch of times yeah there are definitely some um, off the cuff moments that they developed on set that would be one of them to you know, do that all the maggots involved with Beer Guy stroke Judah Freelander are real oh and really gross wow yeah, right. no yeah, that's, real. that's why I was uh, particularly impressed at his dedication because having worked covered with maggots them. they fucking stink yeah, that's wrong covered they in fucking them. stink uh, they're actually grubs because of the they read larger thing corner. oh right okay yeah, yeah. That, that would make sense on screen yeah. Um, yeah but they're all real there's a bit that always makes me laugh where uh, Bozo decides that the person best placed even more so than heroin to kind of tell us what's going on here is grandma because she's old, old. and she's seen and some old stuff. people know stuff <laughs> yeah. she's seen she's seen more of the world than stuff. us yeah. and she's like I don't know anything about this I don't know what you want me to say and then he threatens to get rough with her like he threatens to like rough her up because she doesn't have after, the answers after earlier on asking her how much she was for the night of course, yeah. I think Bozo just maybe not the most together character. Well, there's actually there's an issue between how he was written and how he was performed, right? And how he was directed, and he was written to be much more over the top, um, and it was pulled back on set because he's right. still quite over the top. I know you, but that kind of makes sense, though. That kind of makes sense. And there is a moment when later in the production is a ramping up and they bring in a second unit. The second unit is led by Joel Swasson, who's one of the producers um, and has written many, many Dimension straight to video films, written and directed them. And he tries to introduce a lot of the comedy back in, right? Um, which which gets fought on set. So there are there are various angles where you think, yeah, they're, they're from different performances that he's given. Because yeah, different people asking him for different things. That does make sense. That does make sense. Yeah, because I, I think that there's a few times it kind of it does kind of feel like performances at odds were right in a couple of times with him. So that can add. Can be uneven. Yeah. Something else that's very funny here, by the way, is um, while everyone's still reeling from Beer Guy having his eye torn out of his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, another monster's hand busts through the wall and rips off uh, Henry Rollins' trousers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which forces him to then wear pink sweatpants for the rest of the film. Yes. Which is absolutely fine. It's a funny choice. Emasculating character. True. Keep telling you guys, this is the film you want to learn from. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At this point, Bozo attempts to go up against one of the monsters that they believe is upstairs. So he's sent to um, get the radio. So the the only means of communication they've got left is, because this is before iPhones, um, is the only communication they've got left is a radio. Okay. It's upstairs in the secret room in the bedroom. So he's sent to get that um, and he's locked in the room um, to go and get the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's locked in the room because they try to keep the monsters out the upstairs is quite vulnerable to, to attack mm-hmm. I actually think the stuff with Bozo making his way up there and making his way through the back to the light with the, the kind of pull cord and then the bit with the bat I actually think all that stuff kind of ramps up there's some decent tension yeah in there. there's a lot of good tension yeah, yeah. yeah bad. absolutely yeah. I mean I agree and then the film does one of my favourite moments where uh, obviously one of the creatures does attack Bozo. He runs off, tries to get out, like you say, can't get out for ages. Finally, they let him out. The creature comes barreling towards the door. The door is slammed and catches the creature's cock. Yes. Yep. 
The monster package is introduced. Yeah, I love it. Um, there is, <laughs> which a, is really a character in itself. There is a fantastic scene in the Project Greenlight series where he, they go to Gary Tunnicliffe's, um Can't remember the name of his production company. But they go anyway to his, his workshop when he has you know the various versions of Pinhead that he's done sure. over the years mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And they're trying to decide on what the creature will look like. And Gary Tunnicliffe presents him with a sculpture of a monster penis and asks for a size reference to which producer and director stand for a good couple of minutes with nothing to say except afterwards the producer goes I'm a bit worried about the rating of this film now <laughs> <laughs> understandable I mean to this point uh, there's already some suspect stuff that would cause some red flags to go up I mean yeah. uh, a child being eaten in the first 10-15 minutes is probably a big one two uh, thumbs up yeah, but I mean, I mean, the penis and testicles are quite gra- are quite graphic. Yeah, they are pretty graphic, and they yeah. have a kind of life of their own. Um, have you ever seen the website Bad Dragon? It's those uh, dildos that are like modelled on dragon dicks and like. Wow. No. It, it, just I was going to say it looks like that. Is this what <laughs> happens when you have a young child and you're up late at night? Is this just the rabbit hole you just down? browsing? Hey, did you just type "I'd like to be fucked by a dragon" into Google or? Moving on. <laughs> oh, Moving on swiftly. <laughs> um, this, I think, is the only part of the film where I think the momentum really starts to falter, where they're basically trying to... Are you kidding me? We just, talk, we just saw a monster's dick dance down the stairs before it's squashed on yeah, the Yeah, straight after that, though, when they're trying to <laughs> Magi- uh, kind of when they're trying to kind of like MacGyver together a bunch of solutions to repel the monsters. This, I kind of found myself fighting with this a little bit. Right, okay. Uh, is that because just about everything that they put together is absolutely ineffectual? Yes, Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, what can you do against a bunch of monsters coming at you? I mean, but I mean, apparently not very much. You can try loads of things, but none of them work. Well, you're on the spot. What, what would you do? Like, I'm not saying it. I'm like, I would have died. I already told you. I was vet <laughs> in this situation. Like, I'm like, I, I've, I've been dead for 40 minutes. WWMD. Yeah. I've actually with got Mitch written do. in my notes that I would be dead yeah. within minutes. So. <laughs> what would Mitch do? It's like, regardless, I mean, of, what, regardless this, of what the question is, he's been dead for 45 minutes. At this minutes. point, I've definitely got the pink sweatpants on. <laughs> oh, okay. I may have just volunteered to put them on earlier. You're That's, installing yourself as the Rollins in this situation. That could just be, to be it. <laughs> um, what are they doing to uh, Harley Mom here? Are they turning into her? They're turning it into dynamite. Yes. So th- at this point, the, the decision is made that they they need a distraction in order to get out of the basement window. Yeah, and um, which is referred to as a hatch. So clearly written in the script as the hatch, hatch. you would deliver yeah. beer through, mm-hmm. and constructed on set as a small window. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as usual, some departments haven't spoken to each other. You just you just <laughs> creates a PBR through it. Yes. So because I, I, on rewatching it, I thought I don't remember the beer hatch. Okay, I've, I've obviously not been paying attention. Like, oh, the window. They meant the window. Right? Okay. Oh, I love that. So yeah, they decide to construct a distraction which is to um, create a, a bunch of homemade explosives, strap them to Harriman's body, throw it out into the the wilds, which would obviously should make attract them to, yeah, to the meat. The body, to the meat, yes, to feast upon. Uh, well, they do a runner out the other door and try and get in one of the trucks. That, that, that's the general gist of the whole plan here. On the surface of it, not unreasonable. I mean, yeah, not shite. Like, I don't hate that for a shout. The first kind of big crinkle in the plan comes with the fact that she's not dead. Well, that that is then (laughs) revealed as they they prepare to throw out is that she um, is not dead. The first setback. (laughs) At which point they then decide... I mean, 
It's it's an interesting philosophical point. It is indeed. You you're you're going for your own. You know, it's survival of the fittest. Save your own skin. Do we throw this one out? Well, I mean, at that point as well, everyone else thinks she's dead, and it's only Bozo and Bossman that are there. So. So this is when we get a real sort of midpoint clash upstairs and downstairs. There's various things all happen at once yeah. mm-hmm. to coordinate this. Henry Rollins and, um, sorry, Coach. Coach, yes. And um, Heroin are downstairs preparing to dash out the window to get to the, the van while they're upstairs. Bossman and Bozo have Harley Mom ready to throw her out, strapped up with homemade dynamite. And the while she's alive, decide to actually throw her out. Do they throw her out, or the beast actually get hold of her before? I think it's the, the beast pulls her taken out. out of their hands. Yeah, the beast so. pulls her out. And I feel like if left to their own devices, that's what they would have done, though. Yes, I think that's the suggestion. And off she goes. Um, she's dragged along, and when that happens, the cord is then whipped out of of Hot Wheels' hand. He's supposed to plug it into Hot, Hot Wheels. Wheels. Um, and that's the whole moment of them trying to grab the coin. Now, while Harley Mom is uh, dragged out, this is some additional footage that was filmed later. Um, that sequence was not in the first screening version. A lot of people were uh, confused as to what happened. You only saw them react to her being sure. dragged out, eaten and or eaten, whatever happens, and the explosion. We now get graced with uh, watching her dragged out and humped in the face by um, another baby creature. <laughs> And then, yep. if you were quick enough to catch it, she then spits up its cum. Oh, didn't clock that. Yeah, it's definitely there. Don't hate that. <laughs> it's de- and that's the point when you realise, holy shit, they're getting away with a lot in this film. They really do push it quite far. Yeah, um, I mean, we're on, we're on trauma levels of taste here. Yeah, I would say that's reasonable. But better production value. Much better production value, yeah. Somewhere in the middle of the madness here, uh, Bozo reflexively fires a gun and kills heroin. Yes. Yeah. So she's she's gone out, Coach and her have gone out into try and get the van and they think the creature is climbing through the window or, or the sort of hole in the wall upstairs. Yeah. And it's actually <laughs> it's like the upstairs <laughs> <laughs> It's where the beer's airlifted in. Yeah, I just closed my beer hatch in this room before we started recording. And that's the it's given the impression it's a creature scrambling through and actually it's heroin. She's shot and killed. Yeah. Yeah, midpoint twist. Yeah, the heroes, uh, heroes or heroines are dying all around us. Yeah, who, who's left? Who's left to take up the mantle, Mitch? I'll tell you who. Tuffy. Tuffy. Who is on screen promoted to heroin too? She is indeed. I like I, I like that touch though. I've got to be honest. Yep. Clang. I'm good with it. It's it, like it's 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 about the only permutation of more text on screen that I could stomach. <laughs> Until the credits, yeah, yeah, which I'll allow. Yeah, no, I think this is fine. Yeah, I think this is like this is perfectly fine. And uh, Tuffy, yeah, like uh, immediately, kind of like she takes on that title with fucking gusto. This film is um, Chris Allen's first real, can I say, serious film? At this point, she's been involved in a lot of soft core pornography. Oh yeah, and she actually refused to do the sex scene. Oh, in right. this film, which isn't filmed gratuitously, well, not. not at all, in no, terms no. of nudity, it's, it's almost it's, it's, it's like it's, it's almost completely desexualized. Yes, it's, it's it's funny which is the point of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, she didn't want to do it. She is very sure of her own fame at this point, and is a problematic cast member at best. 
Um, she often leaves, um, she wraps herself, is the technical term, often leaves a couple of um, ADs, find themselves getting fired because they've allowed her to go off set. Oh, um, things like that. Um, she's approached at one point because she's changed her bra. At very early stages of the film, you can see her nipples and then later you can't apparently this becomes a continuity issue now quite frankly if someone approached me with that continuity issue i'm quite sure i just told them to fuck off sure but yeah. they actually pursue this and ask her if she has and is now hiding her nipples um and she calls them on it and tells them to fuck off um I Fair. if it's if, if there's sort of film fan watching a film to make sure that continuity of nipples it's done there's something wrong um, yeah but you know so she's I mean, not, it's, ne- it's never I not, it's never not out on the line I th- I but think... it's seldom forefront i also kind of feel like even if you notice it you should probably be aware of the fact that it makes you sound weird if you point it out <laughs> yeah and the director is sent to um ask her and does um whereas as i said i would have said no no at this point i think i think her mo- she's been in Baywatch at some point yeah she's um, in Baywatch. yeah did she come up in your rewatch she did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, I think her most famous role is when she is in the lift in Liar Liar. Yeah, she is in the lift in Liar Liar as well. Yeah, with Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, so she she's sort of the lead. No, I actually think she does a great job in the film. I think she's yeah. I think she's. I, I don't think she's really done me. anything much since I've seen her in Final Destination Four, playing pretty much the same role. But yeah, um, at this point, I think it's fair to say that the film has run out of steam very slightly, and I think so. I th- I, I think I, I think that you can see the seams on this a little bit yeah. right now. It picks up again in the coming minutes, but certainly at this point, at the moment where it's kind of all quieting down again, pretty much all the characters are lying down. <laughs> like they've all kind of resigned themselves to their fate largely, mm-hmm. and they're just waiting the next inevitable kind of wave of attack. And you don't have to wait long before there is more shotgun blasts and more barricading. <laughs> during the, during which, and like during the melee of which, uh, we lose both uh, coach and boss man. Boss man's death spectacular. It's great. I don't recall this at all. Uh, punch, um, he's lying on the oh, floor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, this one of the they punch up through the floor. Yeah, punches up through him. Because the, do- the, the beer hatch, sure. that's a window, has been left open. <laughs> and the creatures will find their way in that way. And, uh, and during the lull. They then punch their way up through the floor. Mm-hmm. And through, through Bossman, killing him. Another amazing effect, by the way. Yeah, it's great. I can't speak highly enough about the effects. The effects stuff in this is really good, yeah. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. And yeah, Coach is gone as well, in slightly less ceremonious fashion. I don't remember what happens to him. I kind of feel like he gets kind of battered rammed into a door. Oh, he does. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so they, they use him to break the, to try and break the door in. Yeah, that's incredibly funny. <laughs> I think that's a great bit. Um, he shouts bullshit as he is slammed into the into the front doors as, yep. they, as the creatures decide to try and break their way in. One thing that I really like that happens immediately after this is that Honey Pie, who has been played off through this whole thing as being kind of an airhead and kind of useless is the first one to make it to the truck and yeah. rather than get so, helper so they, fucks so, off. So, so they build a device um, which isn't covered well um, and, and they build stuff out of um, ladders and, and barrels and when the door is smashed open they roll these barrels out the front of the tavern to, to hit the creatures and a large wooden barrel is rolled which, which I found myself going that's a bit odd. Why is it a large wind barrel? But I think that's the intention. It's a bit Donkey Kong, though, isn't it? Yeah. Off pops the lid <laughs> and out crawls Honey Pie, yeah. who runs to the truck, gets in the truck, starts the truck. They all cheer because that's them saved. And she fucks off and leaves the lot of them. <laughs> Love it. Which I think is an incredible moment. Brilliant. You save your own hide and you get the fuck out of Dodge. Yep. 100%. She's back in the sequels. 
She's yeah, she really is. Yeah, she's kind of the main thing about the sequels. Yeah, I think. she's she's back for them all. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, we're kind of in final standoff territory at this point. But uh, we see the monsters unsheathed here because yes. they've had they've had these kind of cloaks and kind so of. So the, the design of the monsters throughout the production of the film was always a concern because the demand you you've got three you've got three million dollars to make a film and they get it to three point five million because one of the producers phones a radio show. Um, featuring um, two men, the Maloof brothers who own the Sacramento yeah. Kings. Mm-hmm. He asks them for money and they, they actually agree and they give um, some additional um, money which gives them an extra week of filming. So it's always a concern throughout. You've got this $3.5 million budget but the studio are saying we would really like a creature we've never seen before. Um, obviously Gary Turnercliffe is saying, well, that's great, I need money to do that. So they've created the kind of creature underneath and they decided, Gary Turnercliffe comes up with the idea that everything they kill, they wear. Yeah. So these creatures are wearing the, the skin and furs and skulls of mostly buffalo that they hunt down. And then at this point, they unsheath, to use one of um, Andy's favourite words. <laughs> and uh, we see them um, in full form. I think they're pretty cool. I think they're um, cool. From they're monster in a suit kind of effects, which I think we're both fans of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they definitely work. There's a predatory quality to them. They're kind of like I think things like Pumpkinhead and Alien are obviously kind of yeah. inspirations in there as well. But uh, yeah, I think they look great. There's a, there's a human mutant look to them, which kind of plays into the fact that they are a family and they do seem to coordinate themselves kind of human like mm-hmm. at, at certain points. Um, I'm not saying that they, you know they they go into making this movie having no idea where these things come from. They're, they're a device to to serve the plot. Um, that's 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 an absolute. But you know, the, I think the, the appearance of them is pretty cool. Um, and if you're worried, still worried about uh, the welfare of Beard Guy here because he's he's gone through the mill. Worry no longer because he's pretty unceremoniously head clapped here which is a fantastic effect yeah having spent a lot of the films succumbing to the decompositional qualities of the slime they got coated in very early on yeah he but like that kind of very gradual process has ended in a very ungradual way (laughs) you know there's a point there's somewhere around the bit where harley mom gets dragged out into the desert and there's the explosion that they lose the lights in the bar yeah and emergency lights come on so we have a much darker lighting scheme um, and the effects then, blood and everything, really take on you know, a much better quality. And especially with yeah. the head squash is definitely one of the finer moments. Yep, definitely up there. I think it's, yeah, it's actually, I think a lot of what happens here, I guess from a, a frenetic kind of bloodbath perspective is really strong. But again, in terms of the effects stuff, it's excellent as well because uh, Tuffy, she pretty much beats one of the creatures to death. With her. And, and, you know, it, it goes on relentlessly. Yeah. Um, she continues. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I couldn't bludgeon anything for that length of time. You'd run mm. out of energy, but you know, it's it's there yeah. to make a point that that's her character reached the point where she was going to do anything to get out of here. She's now taken on actually that she's decided she's going to go and save heroine's daughter. Heroine's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though actually thinking about the the flashback, I'm sure there's two kids, but that's I'm, I'm, I've maybe re- <laughs> uh, because of the grainy quality, I've maybe misread one of the other people standing. It's the quite possible. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I'm sure it's a grandmother. Is it a grandmother yeah. left or something? Yeah. So the um, you know she she's definitely decided that obviously her son's been killed. She's going to go and now save this little girl. And she bludgeons the living shit out of this thing. Um, she yep. then rams her full arm down <laughs> its throat. She knocks out all its teeth and then rams her full arm down its throat and chokes it. We actually see a bit of 
vomity stuff coming up because it's getting choked so much. I know you would like that, Andy. Yeah, big fan. And no problem the, the creature. And then I think we've pretty much they've all been killed off at this point. Yeah, she don't does pull out a handful of something. Yeah, and it's like yeah. Uh, don't want to blow past bartender dying with that excellent throat injury. As well, well. He, he well he has a heart attack during yeah. this this final <laughs> confrontation. Yeah. To which Bozo is like, "What the fuck? Really? After all of this, yeah. I think we're pretty much. I think he's over the seventy minute mark that he was promised. That yeah, I would say. He's, yeah, he's skirting he's around it. Be having a heart attack. Then his throat is ripped out, and there is blood pissing everywhere. Yeah, he's great. clearly dead. Pishing might great, be a though. Scottish one, but I'm using it. It yep. is everywhere. Yep, no, it's great. So yeah, at this point, uh, on the surface, we see uh, Bozo, Tuffy, and Hot Wheels are your survivors. Yeah. I'm not clear on how the monsters at some point just managed to put in the whole wall, why they didn't do that in the first place. Yep, um, when that was always an option. Yeah, yeah but, but they do it. They use Henry Rollins' head. No, they use him in the doors, they don't <laughs> use him. It's just after they get really severely pissed off, they decide to put the wall in. <laughs> So this huge hole gives us the ability of this massive light representing the sun. We've made it to dawn. We've made it from dusk till dawn. Sure. And the sun has come up and they stumble out into the desert, hop in the car to get off. Well, they, they rescue Hot Wheels from under the jukebox that has fallen on it, <laughs> which, which serves apparently a, a jukebox falling on your legs. Well, that's not going to harm you because you can't use your legs. Yes, yeah, he's, um, he's, he's still so mostly he's fine. fine. Scoop him out and they walk out into the, the Like, sun. and everything's relative kind of way. He's still yeah. okay. There's still bones on them, like, there's still breakable bones. And they, they jump into the... And there's definitely an infection in there and oh, lots aye. of stuff happening there. <laughs> um, they jump into the car and, and I love the end of this film that they drive off the music starts and the car breaks down and the music cuts out and the car just sits there For trying to restart trying to restart to trying me. to restart out pops Crystal and she tries to shove the car it starts she hops back in and then music gets back in I yeah. love that it's, yeah it's really good it feels to me like that actually happened that they just filmed it yeah do you know it's a bit that's not covered in the series at all you see the last day of filming when they go out to the desert and the wrong parts of the set are actually brought out. They needed like <laughs> the whole front of the bar for them to walk through. But they hired a different crew who hadn't been there who turned up and went, we'll take that bit. And they build it and the DP turns up and goes, what the fuck is that? Um, you know, And it's very much reminiscent of the bit in From Dust Till Dawn where you know they walk out and the titty twister explodes yeah. and everything and they walk together. To me, it's always reminding me of that. Um, so they, they don't really show you them covering that and how that happened. Um, I like the, the idea that maybe that did happen. Um, I'm not going to say Cristal's a good enough actress to have improvised jumping out and pushing a car. So <laughs> I think there may have been some planning. I, I've it. always found it quite jarring. It's like, what's I this, love it. What's See, I, I love that because the music started. And <clears throat> I mean, you've seen my short film, obviously. I, like, I have. Yeah. I, like, nah. I like to play with, I like films that play with how films are made and the, the presentation of them, the music and, and everything, you know, I'm not bothered being reminded I'm watching a film. I quite enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, I'm fine with too. They, they do that an awful lot in Feast, which is one of the reasons why I like it so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, just when you think we're almost out, um, it seems that we've all forgotten about Grandma. Yep. So is there a bit of credits? Yeah, there's a yeah. small, a very small amount, but yeah. And then there's definitely a reshoot where they have gone back in because it does not even remotely look like the same fridge that grandma's gone oh, yeah. and hidden in she's gone yeah. and hidden in the freezer she pops her head out and the beastie pops up and, and it's done yep that's, right. that's, 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 the that. that's the end of feast that is the end of feast yeah. for a, i think <clears throat> for a film that obviously i'm here in defense of 
it's very low budget. Mm-hmm. I think that they do a lot with not having a lot. They, they oh, yeah. a lot, present yeah. a lot of stuff. I think it definitely punches way above its weight. Agreed. Um, yeah. In terms of effects, in terms of... I mean, there's there's artistic shots in here that you just would not get in normal straight-to-video stuff. I highly recommend you watch the Project... I think all the Project Greenlight stuff's on YouTube. Right. And you can watch episode after episode of the director and the DP fighting. They do not get on whatsoever <laughs> because he likes... The director like You know, the shot's set up and the director likes to go... I don't like the shot, and the DP goes, "Well, no, you tell me what you want, and, and I set it up." We don't. They fight constantly. Um, he wants his artistic shots. There, there is stuff definitely. Wes Craven and Matt Damon go to bat for the director. Absolutely, they think he will deliver something beyond what that script is, mm-hmm. and I think John Gilligan absolutely does. Unfortunately, after this, the sequels to Feast and the films that John has made since, since yeah. including Piranha 3 Double D, 3 yeah. Double D, tend to go more towards the um, small creatures humping your mouth and spitting out cum level of quality rather than the nice shots through shot glasses and holes in the floor and, and the, the, the really cool stuff that he does in this film. Yeah, I absolutely believe that this is his best film. Um, I would agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though in some of the unfinished films that he has made, I mean, he made, he made a rock opera which was unfinished, right. and then he made a noir thriller called Fucking Tulsa, which is also featuring all these films. They look pretty cool, right? And you see glimpses of them if you watch Project Greenlight. Um, I would have thought that having achieved what he's done, he would maybe go back and finish these things. But he's obviously quite happy slumming it with them um, straight to video mm-hmm. um, Children of the Corn sequels. Yeah, well, Mitch. I agree with most of this. I think that um, you can't really see budgetary limitations here, but I think that you can see a sag in the second act. I think that when it is just a prolonged siege situation, and I think that you're seeing them just try things that aren't working, I think that gets really exhausting. Not to a point that it derails the whole thing. Right. But I think that it gets to a point where my mind wanders away from it a little bit, regardless of how much they're doing with however little. I think that there is a point where I just I think that yeah I waver with it quite a bit kind of second act into third act yeah I'm going to come down on your side here Dave I think there's an absolute pile of stuff to love and feast I think it's fun I think it's disgusting um, and, and as an effects guy I always forget exactly how strong it is like, and it is the effects work is so 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 strong more than the film probably deserves and more than the sequels can even come close yeah. to I mean I, I love that it delivers that sort of ingenuity that you saw in Evil Dead Evil Dead 2 like Evil Dead 2 they built a cabin in a school gymnasium you know that, yeah. that's the stuff that got me into wanting to be a filmmaker when I realised that I didn't have to be Tim Burton or I didn't have to be any of these people that, yeah. at the time you know were, were, were huge Hollywood directors that you could go and you could do this stuff on your own um, and as difficult as it is and I think it encapsulates that even though it is definitely a studio film yeah, yeah. Um, that wasn't willing to give it any money um, and obviously a commercial entity it, it lost out Feast I think got lost in the fact that there was the divorce of Miramax um, Disney and the Weinsteins and the Weinsteins went off and they did the Weinstein Company the Weinstein Company took I think five or six titles with it Feast was one of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they sat on it for quite a while before it actually came out. Did they put it out on their extreme label? It it wasn't. The sequels were done on right. Dimension Extreme, and this was um, 
just um, put out. I don't think, I mean, originally they were committing to a thousand theatres for this film. Wow. Right, um, okay. And then I think the divorce leads to it being, I remember it limping out on DVD. Um, I imported the DVD, watched it, and then sold it on eBay to some guy in Glasgow. Um, it might have been me. I, no, it wasn't. He worked at some bar in Glasgow. Um, and then picked me. it up again when um, the trilogy actually... I think I sold it because the trilogy came out. I had the American one and then the yeah. trilogy came out in the UK. And I bought that. Um, I did then, after re-watching this again to refresh myself for this, in- including all of the Project Greenlight stuff, which is why a lot of that information is still very fresh, watched part two. Yeah. And as you say, it's... Yeah. I mean, uh, I watched part two as well. But... Such a downturn. Uh, there are moments that I enjoy... Um, but the production quality of it's poor. From second one of the part, the second part called Which Sloppy Seconds. Feast two, Sloppy Seconds. Um, Feast three, the Happy, happy finish. finish. Yeah, yeah. You can kind of see what they're doing here. They're they're taking this and they're taking the the more sexual, dirty side of it. It, and it does that it. thing where when George Lucas made Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back, there were people there to tell him no. Yeah. When he made the Phantom Menace, no one told him no, and it was utterly shit. So that's kind of what happens here. Is that he fights, John Gallagher fights for so much stuff that the studio tell him, you can't have. You can't have all your family in this film. You can't have naked women all the time. You can't have this. When they make the sequel, John Gallagher gets everything they wanted yeah. and it's definitely to the detriment of it. Absolutely. Like, and yeah, like I was, like I said, the, the quality from the first frame is so cheap. The reliance on just digital it's, backgrounds. It's definitely and- a, we're in trauma territory yeah, really, yeah, really poor, but not really trauma poor. territory <laughs> <laughs> so Mitch what's your overall opinion here you've, talk, right. you've talked <laughs> okay right. it's okay yeah, yeah like, like yeah I, I like I agree with a lot of what you're saying about the kind of technical aspects of it Dave I would say that you're equally as in defense of Project Greenlight as you are of this film <laughs> I, I would completely agree I, I think I, if I, anyone I, wants to be a filmmaker of any description any series of Project Greenlight, there are four seasons of it, watch it, and then watch the films. And actually, there's also another series called The Chair. Um, the Chair's even better because they take the same script and give it to two filmmakers to make. That's cool. Wow, okay. Film. And it's really, really interesting. Two different films come out with the same script. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by that. I, I love filmmaking probably even more than actual films. Um, and, and that's why I got into being a filmmaker. You know, the, the first set I ever stood on was Andy's on sure. Remnant. Um, I've worked, I've edited films, I've done music for films, I've written, directed my own film and went to the festivals with it. You know, that that's and that's why I've picked Feast is because of the whole, all the information I've got about Project Greenlight and be able to talk about it makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about. What level of affection would you have for this film if Project Greenlight didn't exist? I would, I would still like this. It's still very much um, is in my wheelhouse. Yeah, um, I mean, absolutely. I... I was aware of Project Greenlight as a concept that had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck involved in the production of this, but I didn't know that it, like I say, I didn't know it was a TV show. I didn't know it was something I could have dug into more in any more detail. Yeah, and um, I didn't but, tell you before. And I certainly, I, I liked this film from the first time I saw it, so I, I, I came in without that. This would be, knowledge. I mean, I think Creature Features can be a great festival screening. Yeah. And if they're done right. And I, I think this is the sort of thing you would go to a film festival, a horror film festival, and the, the audience would absolutely applaud. I think your experience would be lifted. Oh, I think um, if I'd seen this at Fright Fest or something like that, I'd have had an absolute fucking ball. I would say this is a three and a half at a festival and a two and a half in my house. Oh, wow. 
I would say I, w- I would say that like I would get way more out of this if I watched it with the crowd. This script was budgeted, been given to a line producer to work out how much it would cost. It was budgeted at twenty million dollars. They made it with three and a half. Dave. Yes. It has been now more than a year since uh, Mannequin's world premiere at Fright Fest with uh, Stuart mm. Sparks' Book of Monsters. Twelve to fifteen months on the similar festival, amount of festivals. Festival lifespan still ticking on. Yeah. yeah, well, I would say that we've come to an end. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely choosing to remove that now. Okay. I didn't want to do any more than a year. Yeah. Um, I've had to slightly let it go because the, some of them came in and there were Halloween uh, things. It's it's showing at Nightmares Film Festival in Ohio Okay. Um, over the, the weekend just before yeah. Halloween. There's a couple of other people asked for it. Mm-hmm. So it's been sent for their consideration. So if they want it, they will. I was pretty happy that I had 13 laurels. I thought it was quite a kind of horror. Yeah, yep, very nice. Yeah, that, yeah. That that's what's stopping point. That's actually since been fucked up and there's 14 now. <laughs> so, <laughs> these just, just casually happen. just take one off. <laughs> um, I'm pretty happy with the, the, the way it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's not it's not your straightforward normal film. Mm-hmm. No, no, with, no, it's with, not. With where it's got, it's went way further. You know, I was happy that it got shown at Fright Fest and I thought that was the end of it. But the fact that it's had a lifespan yep. beyond that um, and that a lot of people seem to really like it, mm-hmm. which is weird. <laughs> really it's weird and I'm very happy with what it's done yeah as well you should be and it's a great film yeah thank you yeah I mean I'm somewhat biased but uh, I had a great time working on it with you and uh, yeah I mean, and it's it's really nice to see it the, having done so definitely well. the reason it exists was that I had the idea I wrote the script and I sent it to two people one person said I don't get this and the other person was Andy who said wow and I went well this is definitely something I need to pursue mm-hmm. Because if I can get two completely different reactions, I'm happy with that. Yep. Which I would imagine is probably not a bad microcosm for what happened after yeah. that. It, it has <laughs> got more people getting it and liking it yeah. than not. That's certainly been my experience with the festival screens. I've been at. I've seen it twice um, at festivals. Saw it at Fred Fest. Saw it again at Celluloid when it ran with Halloween last yep. year. Um, and just yeah, a say, small matter of that. I would say both <laughs> times. All right, get rid of you, pair. But no, like, um, uh, no, I, um, I, I, I I've, I've, I've seen a golden fairy about that Halloween. There was someone talking to me earlier about people that died in Halloween, and I was like, oh my god, I can't remember anything apart from not liking it. No, yeah, no, so, we, we've, we've talked at length. At length, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did a whole bonus episode, and much we didn't like that one. But yeah, um, so uh, Dave, is it an okay question to ask about what maybe might be in line next for you? Yep. So there's a couple of things. Um, I'm definitely looking. At making another short film shortly. Okay, it's an interesting. It's totally totally different. You, are there people in this one? There are people that talk in this one. <laughs> Talking um, there are people. Um, it's like what about mannequins? Except there is people. a um, un, unpleasing for you, Mitch. There is a slight purge theme to to this. I don't dislike the purge as a notion. I just think that it's. I think that it's uh, it's shelf life in its current form has expired. I'm open to. I'm open to. It's, it's sort it. of that idea um, in terms of the violence and, and things that, that there's that. Um, I've also been um, dealing with someone sort of developing a, a feature film for them. Cool. Um, I was talking to Andy about it earlier. It's it's problematic and it's up and down, um, as all these things are. Um, there's definitely something coming. Cool. And I'll let you know as soon as I know what it is. And Dave, as these non-specifics become specifics, where can people follow you on social media? Find um, I'm on Instagram when I'm Random Elements Films. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter when I believe I'm just Random Elements. That's, I believe that's, that's correct. correct. Yeah. That's where Random Elements came from was my Twitter name. I wanted random and it was taken so it became Random Elements. And 
I am on Facebook, but I would rather people didn't find me on that. Thanks. Reasonable. Okay. But you've told them you're on there, so they. Well, I'm on there. They can send me a friend request if they want, but it won't get accepted now because that's pretty much dead to me at this point. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. David, it's been a long time coming. Thanks very much for taking the time and thanks for bringing feast to the table. Very much appreciated. It's not been as uncomfortable as I thought, but we'll see when I listen back. You know what? I knew you'd be fine once you hit your stride, man. It'll be fine. I've got to be honest, I'm extremely um, jealous of all this beer that's been drunk tonight. While I'm drinking uh, a delicious cost and press cloudy apple. I just really need I just really need a piss right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you're needing a piss, it's probably best we bring this to a close. Probably best to wrap up, yeah. Yeah. Dave, thanks a lot. Dave, thank you. This has been an unbridled joy, um, and I can see that you feel the same. So a pleasure to finally have Dave on the show. Yeah, that was really lovely. Yeah, yeah big yes. thank you to writer and director Mannequins of Sir Dave Malcolm joining us this week to talk Feast. You were a bit colder on it. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in that. I thought you might have... Uh, enjoyed the, the the bombast a little bit more but uh no that's cool that's cool you can't win them all no i suppose not uh, yeah. to be fair you can't win them all but also this is definitely doesn't count as a loss either oh well yeah that's fine but with that we're done for another one i guess yeah that's it however we are gonna be back on monday with mm-hmm. uh minisode 75 traditionally uh, yeah we'll be talking about what we've been watching uh i'll probably have another episode of that I'll probably have another episode of Creep Show what's by then. Yeah. Uh, hopefully some other stuff. Um, also, marking my voyage to the Shockwaves 100 as it nears its end, approaching the 90th percentile. Yep. Going to need to find something else for you to do. Well, a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, also, of course, we'll be playing uh, Mitch's Pitches. We'll be taking a look at your feedback, all that stuff. Worth mentioning, Dave came up with the idea for Mitch's Pitches. He was the originator, yes. Yeah, Mitch's yeah. Pitches. So was throwing arms and legs. We probably... Oh, yeah, he's still here. He's still uh, here, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we probably don't credit him with that enough. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he did. Uh, however, if you want to get in touch with us and uh, talk about anything you've heard on this show or any other show or anything else, there's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook. Any other show, as in anyone any other, else's podcast? Any other, show of the, any other episode of this, ideally, but I guess so, if you right, want. Okay. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can also email Longer Considerations, Musical Interludes, Mitch's Pitches Suggestions, uh, Listener Choice Episode Suggestions, and much, much more to Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and you can go on to the website, strongviolentpod.com. Loads of stuff on there. There is, yeah, yeah. You can find a link to our T Public page there where we have some designs, a new one coming this very week. Yeah, you're saying that all the time. I'm telling you. And uh, thanks to whoever bought a Context Pig t-shirt today. Marvellous. <laughs> yeah, great, great. Uh, I don't know who that was, but thanks for that. Um, and yeah, you can find all the the stuff that you just talked about there and all the links to where you can listen. Yeah, podcast providers, there's loads of them. We like Podbean, personally. We do, yeah. And you can find information pertaining to our upcoming live show at Celluloid Screams. More information coming on that in minutes, minutes after you've heard this. Imminently. We're back on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chance. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.